Amen. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you for that prayer. Hey, good evening, you guys. Happy Mother's Day. It is um, good to be with you. It's, it's good to be here. I'm not feeling like I'm in tip-top shape right now, so I apologize if I stumble my way through this one. Um, but it's actually appropriate because somebody told me recently that, that the pain that women go through in childbirth is comparable to the pain that a man goes through when they have a cold. And so this feels really apropos to what we're doing here tonight. But I do want to echo and pick up where um, Debbie left off. And I want this to be a space tonight. I'm not itching to offer up any kind of three-point sermon or anything of that sort. This is, I just want to see you and I want you yourself to feel seen. Because I think there's a lot of power in that. Debbie. Oh, gosh. I thought you ascended somewhere. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, Debbie and I were at this church conference down the road. It's back and forth where towards the end, there was this pastor in the room who just walked over to the middle of the room and picked up bread and wine. And he said, I got stuff I want to say, but I want to pause first and say this. Pastoring is hard. Doing this job is really hard. And I know what it's like to wonder if you have what it takes. I know what it's like to be sure that you don't. I know what it's like to, to wonder if any of it makes a difference at all. And I just want to pause and lift the bread and hold the cup and say, I see you and it matters. And if you were in that room, you couldn't have heard a pin drop and you wouldn't have found a dry eye. It was a special moment because people were feeling seen. And I'll never forget that because of that. And I want that to be what this space is tonight. I want people to feel seen. I want us to go to the Bible. I want us to see some bodies in the Bible. And in doing so, my hope is that you might see yourself in the story of some of these people that we're going to see in here. The text we're going to go to is Exodus 2, 1 through 10. If you're familiar with this story, and if you've driven by a church or mosque or synagogue ever in your life, I'm assuming that you are, this is Moses' origin stories, or at least a glimpse at it. This is before he kind of rises into the liberator, deliverer of Israel. This is, this is like Peter Parker pre-Spider Bite, if you know what I'm saying. I think the text is on your paper, um, so we're going to go to that. And, and I actually feel like it's good to go to this origin story on Mother's Day. And you could actually say it'd be good to go to this origin story on Jesus, too. And it'd be the same kind of thing, because if you think about Moses... As the prophet of all prophets, the name of the Hebrew scriptures, and you think about Jesus as the name of the New Testament, what's interesting about those two men is you could say a lot of different things, but one thing you would have to say is that their stories have been formed by women. First and foremost, from start to stop, there were women there. We don't know much about Joseph. He's here in the moment. We don't know much about Moses. He's here and then he's gone. You could actually go further and name the parallels between Jesus and Moses. You could talk about how they're both born to these humble origins, how they pass through the highest courts, how they both flee to the desert, how they both come back with a new set of beliefs and a sense of leadership that's going to lead the people towards liberation. But they first started out with women, women who were trying to bring life into the world in a time when it was incredibly daunting to do so. The context of where we're going to go into tonight is one of heartbreak. The children of Israel have been enslaved by the new king of Egypt who knew no Joseph. Uh, the conditions in the land were unbearable. Famine was across the land. And to make matters worse, on top of just the daily needs struggling to be met, at some point, 
Pharaoh saw the population of the children of Israel growing, and Pharaoh sees this oppressed people as a threat and decides that in order to neutralize said threat, he decrees that a particular group of boys inside of that demographic were going to be targeted by the authorities and eliminated immediately. It's one of the first recorded acts of genocide um, based off of anti-Semitism that we have in scripture, I mean in history. Pharaoh hunts down every Jewish baby and every baby that comes out as a boy, he demands, decrees, that that baby gets thrown into the Nile to be killed. In Pharaoh's mind, he thought that by killing every male Hebrew child, he could reduce their power, that he could cut them off from their potential, and that he could keep everything that was his perfectly intact. But his calculations were off because he forgot about the women. Just like the Taliban forgot about Malala. Just like oil companies forgot about Greta. Just like Jim Crow forgot about Rosa. Just like the MPD forgot about Nakima. And so just to make sure that we don't walk too much like an Egyptian, that we forget these things that Pharaoh forgot, let's focus on the bodies that get lost in the blur and the whole thing goes awry. Exodus 2, 1 through 10. And it reads like this. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. The first mother of Moses that we meet in the text right here, in a text that in the Hebrew Bible is actually called the Book of Names, this mom shows up here with no name tag attached. Her and dad are both shadowy figures that go unannounced. We actually aren't properly introduced to Moses' mom until we get well past Exodus and into the book of Numbers, until we get to the 26th chapter, where there we find out the name of Moses' mama is Jochebed. Jochebed is the mother who carried Moses in her but couldn't raise Moses with her. She is the one who felt him kicking in her stomach when he was just a seed, and she's also the one who sent him away down the stream. And so on this Mother's Day, I've been thinking about her in this role and trying to figure out why do we tell this story for thousands of years now? Why have we preserved and participated in this story for so long? On this Mother's Day, I just wonder what that moment was like when she sent her child away. I wonder if her hands were shaking when she laid her baby down in the basket. I wonder if when she pushed the basket out into the Nile, she immediately reached to pull it back in. I wonder why dad wasn't there. I wonder if in her last moment she took off her outer robe and she laid it next to him in the basket. And I wonder if Moses wondered why she didn't get in with him. Why he was going where she wouldn't. And I know that some of you have wondered the same thing. As Debbie said, I mean, I, I know from talking to some of you, I'm looking out of faces right now where I know that as much as we may say Happy Mother's Day, there is a heaviness attached to these 24 hours. For some of you, you too were carried away by a force beyond you, and your mom stayed behind you. It's interesting, you know, it says that when Jacobez saw Moses, her first reaction is to say that this was a fine child. That word for fine there is the Hebrew word tov. We've talked about it before, but I'm going to say it once more. Tov is the word that God used when he looks over at the land and he says, it's good. Looks over at the trees, it's good. Looks over at the fruit bearing, it's good, good, good. Tov is a word to describe something that has life within life, seeds within it. It's here, but it's more than here. It starts here, but it won't stop here. 
And I think about them because I think about while I haven't been really caught up in the indoor planting uh, trend of these days, I do know that in order to raise up a seed into something that's actually going to be substantial and stretch a little bit, you can't just spritz the leaves on top. You actually have to water the roots on the bottom. And I know that for some of you, Mother's Day is a heavy day because at the end of the day, your parents left you parched. You, you didn't get the chance to be a well-watered tree. And I just want you to know that in this space, we see you. And I want you to know that we are so sorry. We are so sorry that you ended up in a basket before you were ready for the rivers of the world. It's not right that that happened to you. Now I know for those of us who are familiar with this story, we go, we're like, hold the phone, Matt. Let's not make Jacobet out to be somebody who's bad. I'm not trying to make her out to be something bad. I'm trying to let us see from what Moses saw. What did he see when, when his mom was blurring into the background while he was fading down the stream? I know that Jochebed was doing all that she could to keep her kid alive, but Moses didn't know that. Moses only saw the push. Moses didn't get a chance to hear about the purpose, but we can. We can see how Mama Jochebed comes to that point where she realizes that she can't protect her child anymore. She can't raise him. That she's done the best that she can with what she has and where she is and what she knows. And after three months, she decides that her life as a mom in his life must come to an end so that her own son's story goes on. And so then Jacobet goes down to the river and she creates this makeshift raft and she puts her baby in it and she releases him into the world. Which to be fair is a path that every parent eventually has to go down even if we do so kicking and streaming along the way. At some point between the two pink lines and the delivery room, moms become, and I've seen it firsthand, moms become equally parts uh, powerful while simultaneously, simultaneously also powerless. They can channel strengths that they didn't know they had, but ultimately they have to surrender some things that they cannot stop. One of those things is that moment where you have to release the child into the world. Eventually, you either have to bring your baby to the river, or the river will come for your baby. And all you can do as a parent, all you can do as a mom, is ready them for the world that they're being sent into. All you can really do is make sure that that basket of papyrus has the crack sealed tight. Make sure that you give the kid a good talk about what to do when stopped by the police. Make sure you instill in them some good values. Make sure you remind them of who they are and whose they are and where they're from and why they're here before they run into those moments where they're tempted to forget. And I celebrate all of you moms in this room. I'm looking out right now and I see you. Giuliani, I see you right there with all of your kids. All of you moms inside this community who have put in the time and the sweat and the blood and the tears and the energy of tending to those baskets for your babies. Making sure that the cracks are sealed tight. I see you and I celebrate your life and the life that you put into your kids. And I weep with you who are the kids who didn't catch that. With you who are the kids who were taught how to swim before you even knew how to stand. I see you who, like Moses, were pushed out into the river before you were prepared well for that reality. 
and now you're here. And so when we say mom or mother, whatever the word might be, you're not really sure what kind of face is going to pop up in your head because it's been a minute now since you've con contacted your mom. It's been a little bit since you've engaged. That's a, a name, a figure, a role that you've tried to get some distance from. And so you're not really sure what to do with it because all you can remember in the book of Exodus is there's somebody on the shore who put me in this basket and pushed me away and she did not have a name. My prayer for you is that you will keep on going forward into the book of Numbers where you can find out that she does have a name. Their name is Jacobet. And I'm praying that not just for you who are struggling with a day like today, but also for you who are celebrating it. I mean, I had this moment, I remember it, uh, eight years ago when my son Wyatt, my firstborn, came into the world, I had that realization come over me. I don't know beyond Wyatt if there's many inciting incidents attached, but I remember having this profound realization where for the first time in my life, it felt like I understood that my mom's name, and get this out, this is wild, it's not actually mom. It's not. My mom's name is Tammy. And if that's not crazy enough, my dad is a Dave. Mom and dad. Those are the titles that I have tagged them with, but that's Tammy and David. And for me, I'm not trying to be dramatic about the bit, but I'm just telling you, like it had massive implications for my posture and how I navigated through this world. Because all of a sudden I realized there is this entire story that stretches beyond my story. There is a seemingly infinite amount of context outside of the framework that I had held for them. There is so much more to this person than the three letter word would imply. When I realized that my mom is not just a mom, but that she is also a Tammy, I realized that she's not just a parent, but she's also a person. She has a story that is filled with highs and lows and heaviness and holiness and fears and doubt and moments of inspiration and moments of desperation. And in the midst of that all and more, she had the audacity and the courage and the desire to raise five kids when she was barely 25 herself. Changed everything about the way I see my mom. When I started to see her in numbers as more than the nameless title in Exodus, I never loved my parents more than I did in that moment. When I realized that they were not just a pair of unpaid extras in a movie about me but but really that I was a new cast member in a movie that was already going on about them it equipped me to move forward with compassion with understanding with acceptance it all came so much easier after that moment right there and so while I didn't go into the water into the world as somebody who was left parched by my parents my parents watered as well I want to encourage people still People who are distant from their parents, people who do feel more thirsty because your roots were not watered. I want to encourage you to remember that that parent, that mom, that is Jacobet. And when Jacobet pushed you down the river, there were things already pushing on her first. You may never understand the pain that's in Jacobet's heart. You may never understand the trauma and the tragedy that made her the way that she is. You may never get what pushed her to make that final push, but for the sake of you pushing back on a life of resentment and pushing for something more redemptive, I want to encourage you to start moving towards a place where you can name sincerely the pain and the disappointment in how parched you were by that particular parent and still proactively work to love your mom for who she is and forgive her for who she isn't. Now I know it's not easy. I know it can sound trite. I know she wasn't Claire Huxtable, but she was Jacobin, a person who had her own stuff and her own story, and you joined her inside of that. 
I'm not saying you should pursue this work because it's something that she has earned, nor am I saying it's something that she, is, she deserves, but it's something that you deserve. Forgiveness, as Lewis Smedes reminds us, is not when you set somebody, it is. Forgiveness is when you set somebody free and you find out that it's you. Set yourself free. Day by day, find the work to do something like that. And as you are doing that work of forgiving your mom, take some space along the way today to celebrate the mothers who emerged in her absence. Maybe not the ones that you came from, but the ones who came with. You know, if you read this story and you keep going on, you recognize that Moses had more moms than mom. When mom pushes him down the river, Jochebed, when she lays her baby in the basket and watches him float away, she walks away, but Moses' sister, she walks with. His sister, Miriam. She stays by the stream all the way until the princess of Egypt picks up the child of the Hebrews. And when the princess wonders out loud, well, how are we going to feed this newfound baby that we saw just merrily floating down the stream? Immediately, Miriam steps out of the shadows and into the princess's presence and says, I'll go get mom to feed him. Miriam reconnects the baby to her original source. Miriam reminds the child again and again who he is, where he comes from. And it's interesting, you know, if you fast forward 14 or 13 chapters, you go to Exodus 15, 20, Miriam is reintroduced as the prophetess who sings and who is a sister of Aaron. Now hold up, I thought she was also a sister of Moses. When the rabbis and the sages of history would look at that text and go, why would we only name that she's a sister of Aaron? They would point to the fact that Miriam stood by the stream when mom walked away. And when Miriam stood by that stream, she ceased from being a sister and she became one of his mothers. She mothered that child. She stayed by his side. She kept her space but never left her love for him. And so whether you are a mother who carried and raised your child today, a Jacobed who, who let him go so that he may live, who made that difficult choice, or you're a Miriam who stood by the stream, a mentor, an aunt, a stepmom, a grandmother, an whether you, whoever you are, that has stood in the corner and late, leaned into that maternal instinct of love, of compassion and care and nurturing, we see you, we celebrate you, it matters. And what we'd like to do as we close this space is I want all of the moms to stand up right now. Whether you are a, a mom with biological kids or you're a Miriam kind of mother, if somebody has stood by your stream or somebody has come from you, you know, it's one of those things where we're reminded in a story like this where just because you have kids, that doesn't make you a mom. And even if you didn't have kids, you could still be a mom. This is that space where can we just collectively for a moment look around at these wonder workers, especially in this past year, you guys. Every day this past year, I've woken up next to the love of my life and I've watched her with our kids. And it feels like Jesus is pulling up a seat for me at the communion table where I am seeing somebody again and again say, this is my body broken for you. This is my body taken me. Next day, this is my body broken for you. This is my body take and eat. That is who these people are. We see you, we celebrate you, we thank you. Can we give them a round of applause? You may have a seat. Will you pray with me? Jesus, God, we, we think tonight, Lord, of all the ways that you have equipped our lives with moms. 
people who have mothered us, God, people who have loved us, God, people who have seen us and desired our stories to go further than we could have ever imagined. People who have reconnected us to our original source, who we are, who have reminded us again and again, see, you're a child of God, you're loved, and that's enough. God, with grateful hearts, we celebrate and we thank you for equipping us with people like this. It's a good, good gift, and we're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.